Hi Palmer, it's Tom Morley, your teacher librarian, talking to you. Uh, as you can tell from the background noise, it's um, parent-teacher conference, and uh, I'm coming to you today from the ancestral enunciated lands of the Hunk peoples of the Hunkmenum language-speaking group. Okay. In the last episode, I explored some of the key concepts of media literacy and the first steps towards developing an understanding of digital media literacy and hence on to digital citizenship. I talked about media as being constructed, having commercial value uh, implications, having negotiated meanings, having social and political implications, and how each form of media has its own unique aesthetic considerations. Today, I'm going to begin talking about the key concepts that underpin digital media literacy. I'll list those in a moment, but it is important to remember that the key concepts of media literacy still hold true for digital media literacy. Digital media is just as constructed as legacy media ever has been. The concepts I'm going to go over in the next episodes are ones you need to think about in addition to those you've already learned about to become media literate. So, without further ado, the key concepts of digital media literacy are digital media are networked, digital media have unexpected audiences, digital media are shareable and persistent, interactions through digital media can have real impact, and digital media experiences are shaped by the tools we use. I'm taking these straight from the work of the MediaSmarts.org, but these are confirmed by sources like DigiSit uh, Dockers and um, Common Sense Media and others. Now, for the first, for the purposes of this podcast, I want to focus only on the first element: that digital media are networked. I'm doing this because the last one went on too long. So, digital media are networked. Let's talk about that. We all know what the word network means. An arrangement of intersecting vertical and horizontal lines or a group or system of interconnected people or things. That's straight from the Oxford Dictionary. And while we can sort of visualize this, it is likely that we generally imagine a very simple matrix, one with only four or five lines radiating out from any, any particular node. And this isn't because we're particularly blind or willfully stupid. Rather, it's probably because we generally aren't very good at thinking about things that aren't binary choices, on or off, black or white. And that we also struggle to hold in our memory large numbers of unrelated things. Short-term memory typically can only hold five to ten unrelated things at any one time. So typically, people, when they imagine a network, they imagine a net, a bit like a fishing net. Um, nodes with single lines radiating out from them that connect to other nodes and spreading out across a page or across a space in this form. And this isn't because, we're again, because we're willfully ignorant. It's more likely because we tend to think in terms of things we have experienced or seen. We're visual creatures. The words I see is virtually synonymous with I understand. So when we visualize something, we think we understand it. So us visualizing a network, we focus on the word net, we imagine a net. And so the simple vision of a network is okay as far as it goes. 
but it simply does not go nearly far enough for us to begin to think realistically about what digitally network media implies. Now, digital networks are not bound by the limitations of string nets or by the physical world. A digital network can have literally millions of threads radiating from each node and connecting with millions of other nodes, all of which are also interconnected. And if we try to imagine this, it will probably uh, assume a more of a three-dimensional form with some nodes having more connections and some fewer. But that perception is unfortunately static. It, it becomes a thing that is dead and lifeless. It doesn't recognize the, the movement of information and the rapidity with which links form and dissolve and move on to something else. So there's no reason for a digital network to be static. So a digital node can make or break connections in a multitude of ways and for a multitude of reasons. Following a chain of links on the internet one time may get you to a very different, different endpoint a, a second time. And digital networks are multi-directional. In a physical network, we think of energy or communication flowing in one direction at a time. But this doesn't have to hold true for a digital network. Digital networks can send and receive simultaneously, so the flow of communication is multidirectional and multidimensional. This is really hard to imagine, but it, when you stop and think about it, it all makes sense. And this is just thinking about the difference between a physical and a digital network. So let's shift the focus to the difference between legacy and digital media networks because that's where we really are. We're talking about digital media literacy and digital media citizenship. In legacy media, even at the end of the 20th century, the flow of information was largely unidirectional. A corporation created media, created a message, put it out onto its network, and it was received by an audience. It was a push, push exercise, if you will. And I know I talked about how audiences were able in the later part of the 20th century to give feedback to the legacy media and respond to legacy media constructions, but it was still largely unidirectional. They put something out, sent it out, an audience received it, and then later sent something back. So it was a, a sort of a teeter-totter of information going, going through a, a gate. And it wasn't guaranteed that the information was going to go to anyone in particular. I could phone my newspaper and register a comment, but I would get a switchboard operator and it might, at some point in the future, get passed on to a person actually connected to the relevant report I was talking about. And it was mediated through however many people were in between me and the person I wanted to talk to. So that means that fundamentally my response is disconnected from the actual piece. Um, and there was no necessity for the, the corporation, the legacy media corporation, to respond. I wrote hundreds of letters to the editor um, when, I, when I read the newspaper on a regular basis, and maybe two, maybe four were printed, and many were never acknowledged at all. Digital media, on the other hand, 
has an immediate interaction. I can respond online to the person who actually published the, the, the document. I can bypass the gatekeepers of uh, secretaries and switchboards and go at least to the, to the moderators of discussions and get my opinion registered. And that obviously depends on the moderator settings. And it's very common for, regardless of what the moderator publishes, for a reporter to receive the feedback from or receive input from all of the uh, material that's sent in. And this is probably the most important part of digital media being networked as a truth that we need to understand. Once our piece, piece is out there, once we publish something, it is everywhere all at once and is subject to an immediate and continual response, use, and remixing. So a um, news reporter may create a news piece and they may hold that as proprietary. But anybody can cut and paste from it. Anybody can adapt it or alter it um, and, and move it on to their own, own system of communication. So being networked potentially means being instantly available and on demand for the attention economy. We're going to talk about what the attention economy means in future episodes. All right. I think I've covered enough for this episode. Next time, I'll talk about the unexpected audience's key concept. As always, if you have any suggestions or thoughts, please feel free to contact me. I look forward to talking to you next time. All right, go well, stay well.